Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome back to the Gifts of Glory podcast, where we celebrate and promote men and women of God who are using their gifts, talents, and passions to honor and glorify God. And this week is no different. We've got co-host of the Carlton Crew Morning Show on Moody Radio here in Chicago, and her name is Allie Domersant. Allie is an incredibly talented woman. Uh, she got her start in media as a journalist uh, many years ago and then uh, traveled with her husband overseas for his work. And now that they're back in the Chicagoland area, she was blessed with the opportunity to go and do ministry work on Moody Radio each and every morning. And they've done incredible work on Carl and Crew. And we get to talk to her about the radio, about her path and her journey. And we also talk about her other project, and that's called Project Surplus. You're going to want to check this out, Project Surplus. Uh, just an incredible storytelling website of stories that don't otherwise get to be told. And we're going to talk about that coming up here in just a moment. First, I want to let you know about well-versed comedy. If you have an event, whether it's a birthday party, an outreach, a community event, a retirement party, a date night event you want to have at your church, whatever the case may be, and you're looking for affordable, family-friendly entertainment that's going to reach across generations, across races, across all boundaries, bring well-versed comedy to your event. Uh, we do clean comedy and it's improv. So everything we do is completely original. Every show is one of a kind based on audience feedback and audience suggestion. So if you want something that's interactive, that's going to be one of a kind, that's going to leave your group, whether they're your employees, your churchgoers, or the community, leave them laughing for many days. We want to be a part of that. Consider Well-Versed Comedy for your entertainment for your next event. Visit us online, www.wellversedcomedy.com, wellversedcomedy.com, or find us on the social media at wellversedcmdy, at wellversedcmdy. And now, on to our interview with Ali Dumersan from Carl and Crew and Project Surplus. Here on the Gifts of Glory podcast, where we celebrate and promote men and women of God using their gifts, talents, and passions to honor and glorify God. Right now, I'm joined by who I would say is probably my first celebrity interview. <laughs> you recognize her voice if you're in the Chicagoland area. She is co-host of Carl and Crew, Allie Domersant. Allie, welcome to the uh, Gifts of Glory podcast. Glad to be here. Celebrity might be a bit generous, but we'll go with it. <laughs> well, it, in my book, I've just been interviewing friends that I've known for years. So now I get to, I'm, I'm in the big leagues now. I'm with somebody okay. that is going to, you know, your status is going to raise the podcast status and therefore now will be accountable to have good quality. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll try to do my best. No pressure. <laughs> uh, as I mentioned, you are the co-host of Carl and Crew. Yes. Um I, I, I'm a huge fan of the show and, uh, you know, there's thousands, perhaps a couple million like me that listen every day. So, uh, I mean, it's really just a fun ride to listen to you guys and, and hear the focus on life and using and being a Christian in life. Well, we, the great thing about the show is that as much fun as hopefully it sounds like we're having, we really are. I mean, we are a great team. God's put together kind of an eclectic group of people. We all bring different backgrounds, different strengths, but we really sit in the studio and we just talk about our faith. We talk about life. We try to be as transparent and vulnerable as we can be sharing what's going on in our lives. Um, we never want to come from a standpoint of has being an expert on anything. 
because we are all dependent on the grace of God and his mercy. And it's, it's humbling to be a part of, but it's a lot of fun. And for me, as somebody that worked in radio, I really understand the appreciation that you would have for the audience feedback, the constant interaction with the audience. And uh, I'm sure that it's safe to say that one of your favorite things is to see all the me texts that come in. Yes, we do this thing, uh, especially on fr- Fridays. We have Freedom Friday. But really, anytime the Holy Spirit prompts us throughout the week, we share the gospel. We are very bold with it. We don't hold back. We, don't, we also don't assume that just because it's Moody Radio that everyone listening is a Christian. Uh, numbers show that there's a really high percentage of people who are non-Christians who listen to Christian radio because for a number of reasons. My guess is because it's positive, because they hear something that uplifts them, even if they don't know Jesus yet. They think this is, sounds a little bit better than maybe what I'm hearing on other stations. And we invite people to respond to the gospel and they, they text the word me. And that's just our way, kind of like a hand raised in a church, but it also gives us a chance to respond with a resource for them. Uh, Just a a short little read where they get a little bit more information and then also a link to some local churches. We are a parachurch ministry, meaning we do not want to take the place of the church. We want people to listen to the show, to be encouraged but we really want people to be plugged into a local church with people that they can see face-to-face who they know and who know them, and that's really the place where they can grow. And I think uh, during the last um, uh, the fundraiser, Matt McNeely, uh, the station manager, mentioned that there were 20-some hundred uh, salvations that were confirmed through the text messages last year. We had, I think it was about 4,000. Oh, 4,000, okay. In a year, I think from March 2018 to March 2019, that could have my dates a little off, but in a one-year span, we had about 4,000 people respond, which is just unbelievable. I mean, we just see a phone number and the word me, but we know that behind every number, there's a life that's been transformed. There's a family that's now on a new path, and it's it's just an exciting thing to be a part of. Also, here's the f- simple fact that people are busy and they're listening to the radio mostly on their way to work. So the 4,000 plus that you know about, there could be double that that you don't know about that they didn't have time or a chance to text or maybe they were kind of shy and didn't want their number uh, you know, to bro- be broadcast just yet. So you're, you're making those ripple effects. You, you drop the seeds every day on the radio and there's those ripples going throughout Chicago. Yeah, that's it's you're right. It's exciting because we really we may never know how many people are are responding who who don't choose to text for whatever reason, but to think about it that way, it's like, wow, this is this is something pretty special. So, we're talking about people who make a decision for Christ. Let's talk about how you made your decision. Um, yeah. at what point in your life did you make that a personal uh choice? Well, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I started going to a youth group uh, when I was in early high school, and that was really the first time I had any awareness. Despite growing up in the church, I really had no awareness that I needed to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Prior to that, I had had exposure to Bible stories, Bible teaching, but I just wasn't aware that there was really any response that was required on my part. So when I was a freshman or a sophomore in high school was the first time um, I made a decision and said, okay, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Um, So I went through high school, college, I would say as a fairly legalistic 
a Christian. Um, I believed in God and I tried to be a good person. And I tried to do the things that good Christians do and to stay away from the things that good Christians don't do. And that was how I lived a lot of my, um, my late teens and even into my early 20s. And I found myself really with this, always this nagging sense that there was something missing. Um, I believed in God. I had put my faith in him. But I just thought there has to be something more. And it really wasn't until probably the last seven or eight years where I kind of took that next step of that something more was really learning how to seek God for myself, not just put my personal faith and trust in him, but really learn how to what my pastor calls self-feed, where it's more than just uh, a belief system. It's actually something where I am encountering God through his word. Sorry about that. No problem. I can start that thought over. So I reached a point where I had to seek God for myself, what my pastor calls self-feeding, where I had to learn how to encounter God for myself through his word, through time spent with him. And for a, for a lot of years prior to that, that was such a struggle. I knew that people had these things called quiet times and devotional times, but I always felt like a pretty big failure in that area. Hmm. I thought, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing these things called devos that everybody talks about. And so it was this source of kind of almost shame. Like I felt very weak as a Christian. I felt like if, if I was forced to really defend my faith, I, I didn't feel like I was really adequately prepared. I had some knowledge of the Bible, but I hadn't really had a lot of tools in terms of Bible study. So about seven or eight years ago was when that when I really sort of started to learn how to seek God for myself and that, and then that changed everything. All of a sudden there was new life in my time with the Lord. Um, the guilt that I had kind of carried for a lot of years of feeling like, man, I'm, I'll, I'll never be good enough. Um, not that I don't still kind of struggle with that sometimes, that, but I now am equipped to bring myself out of that by going back to the word of God, by going back to the scripture that says, apart from him, I can do nothing. That my sanctification or growing up in him is not dependent on me checking a bunch of boxes. It's dependent on me being humble before the Lord and saying, hey, I can't do this by myself. I can't do this for myself. I'm absolutely desperate for you to move. And continually reminding myself that that's the posture that's required. It's not being a good girl. It's not following rules. It's humility and surrender before the Lord. And that over the last seven, eight years, and then even in the process of doing this show, I feel like I've grown up so much in my faith. And it's one of those things where it's another lesson you can draw from the thief on the cross because every time you start thinking, I have to do something to earn my salvation, to earn God's love, you think about the thief on the cross, all he did was surrender, become humble in that moment, and he is now in paradise. So every time we start feeling that way, just remind yourself that there is that place where God's not looking for you to earn salvation because Christ already did the work. Yes. Yes. And we have to keep reminding ourselves of that, especially for those of us who have grown up in the church, uh, for those of us who don't have the dramatic sort of testimony and 
all by that I mean the dramatic outward because it's the the inside going from death to life is dramatic no matter what your background is right but for those of us who have grown up in the church and who have not had um, you know major addictions or, or you know or these life gripping sort of issues that God often plucks people out of without that sort of dramatic outward transformation sometimes you can feel like do I have a story? And the answer is yes. If you cross over from death to life, your sin may not be as obvious to everyone else, but you are absolutely redeemed and your story's worth telling. Absolutely. Everyone has a story. Because for me, I look at it two ways. Um, you, like you said, you know, the big outward deliverance of, of drugs or alcohol or whatever. You know, sometimes it's it's harder to be in a place where you're surrounded by people of faith and you get almost to that lukewarm state mm-hmm. to where it takes a little bit more effort to find that relationship with God because you think you're very tempted to think that you're, you're okay because like you said, you're behaving, you're not doing the bad things or you're not doing a lot of the bad things. Right. And I think that one thing that I, a realization that the Lord has brought me even over the last couple of years is that, you have to be able to see clearly who you are apart from Christ. So I have to be able to look at my own life and he'll give me through circumstances, he'll give me glimpses into who I really am apart from him. And I can see the pride that could creep up or I could see, you know, any other things that are personal that I can see. Sometimes he'll allow me a glimpse into or maybe how I'll handle a conversation and I'll go, okay, that's, that's what's in my heart. It's, it's not, you know, what everyone else sees doesn't matter because I know what he has pulled me out, out of, even if nobody sees it. So you said it's been about seven or eight years um, that you've really been pursuing this anti-legalist kind of point of view with your relationship with God. How does getting into media and reporting, because that's where you kind of got your start, how, does, uh, how did that field play into your faith? Yeah, I mean, I, I studied journalism in college. And so I, my dream job out of college was to be a reporter. Uh, I got to start at a, a medium-sized station doing behind-the-scenes stuff, working in the promotion department. And then I so, slowly kind of climbed my way up. They let me do a community calendar segment. <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of my, my audition to see how I did on air. Um, and then I slowly worked my way up as a reporter. And I did that for a couple years and I enjoyed it, but I wasn't sure that it was for me, even though it was what I had thought I wanted to do. There was the stories that you have to cover were usually draining or negative and it felt lifeless to me, even though I enjoyed the writing aspect and kind of the storytelling, putting it all together, the things that I was actually reporting on were not things that I felt like were giving me life at the end of the day. I would often feel drained. Um, you have to have an, a kind of an aggressiveness as a reporter that you're going you're gonna to get the story, you're going to get the interview. And that just wasn't my personality. I, was, I loved feature stories. <laughs> One of my favorite stories was about a man who had trained his golden retriever to do math. this crazy act that he had where he had this dog so trained that they worked together and it really looked like this dog could add and subtract and do division and it was just a fun 
feel good sort of feature story. And I would do stories like that. And I would think, man, I wish I could do more of this because going out and covering the fire fires or the murder trials, those, I just quickly realized this is not for me. So you do that for a couple of years and then was it because you got married and became um, a, a wife and then a mother that you kind of stepped away or is that, there's something else in there? Nope, that's exactly right. Uh, my husband and I got married. We've been married almost 13 years now. So we got married and at the time he was uh, working overseas, so it was going to require us to move. And so I was pretty, pretty okay with putting aside uh, my work as a reporter and just taking on full-time traveling with him for his job. Um, after a couple years, we had, we had our first child. And so I threw myself in entirely into being a stay at home wife and mom and really didn't give a whole lot of thought to whether I'd ever work again in media. Um, I ended up going back to school to get my master's degree in journalism because my thinking was maybe I'll want to teach someday. Maybe instead of being a reporter, I'd like to teach journalism. So I knew you needed a master's degree for that. So I pursued that uh, during that time period. But really, again, with no thought of re-entering the workforce anytime soon. So that was from the time I stopped working as a reporter until the time I started at Moody Radio was 11 years. There was an 11-year gap where I was at home with as a wife and mom. Was it a hard decision to go back to work, or how did how did that happen that you uh, get got the job at Moody as a co-host with uh, Carl and crew? Well, it you know very unusual. I mean, it's definitely not most people's um, your your typical submit a resume and and you know apply for a job. It was I kept hearing uh, that there was maybe going to be an opening at, at Moody Radio, and I was just I was going to have two kids in school for full day for the first time. And my mind was just starting to go back to that place of, is there something else I want to do? Is there something God has for me? I was heavily involved in ministry at our church. I was and really loving that. But I was starting to think, is there, is there something I'm supposed to be doing? So I just started looking online to see if there were any openings. And there wasn't really anything that was a good fit. Um, but I actually had a friend who worked for not for Moody Radio, but for um, Moody Bible Institute. And he's, my husband mentioned that I was maybe thinking about getting back into media. And from that one conversation, that led to a conversation with Carl, who ended up meeting this guy. And he told Carl, he said, I, I think I have someone that you should meet. <laughs> and so then I got a call and um, he said, I, I want you to talk to Carl Clausen. You're going to talk to him on Monday morning. So I had the call with Carl, and that kind of got the ball rolling on a very surprising entry back into the workforce. So I had, I had the conversation with Carl, I met with the boss, and then I kind of formally put my name in the hat for the running, really not knowing still if it's what I wanted, because I knew that it was going to turn my life upside down, new, new challenges. My background was in TV, not radio. I'd never done talk anything. News is very, uh, very structured, very much you're reporting on things. It's not your opinion. Um, I'd never, it, I'd only done secular media. So this was going to be a real step outside of what I was used to. It was also going to be a big commitment for our family because we'd go from having a stay-at-home mom to a working mom, which was going to be a transition for everyone. So 
I really just prayed throughout the whole process, um, just asking the Lord to guide me. And he began to, there were answers to prayer. There were scriptures that were directly, I, I took them as directly from the Lord that made it clear that this is what he wanted me to do. And then within a couple months, I got the call that, that, that I had been uh, selected as the new co-host, and I jumped in. And how long had you been back in the Chicago area? Because I know you mentioned you had uh, traveled quite a bit for your husband's career. Uh, at what point did you come back to Chicago and then suddenly found this opportunity? Well, we had always kept a, a place in Chicago, a place to come home to, because uh, I would come home, especially with, uh, with the pregnancy and the deliveries. There was, we were always spending a lot of time in Chicago, at least a couple months out of every year. Uh, so we came back kind of full-time, uh, probably around 2015 was when we kind of transitioned pretty much more in Chicago than in Europe. Um, so about probably about two and a half, three years before I started at Moody. Okay. And so walk us through the first day of going live on radio, no telling how many people you're talking to, were, were there nerves or, or was there a, a piece? How, how, how did that go? There were definitely nerves. I, thankfully, I had gotten to, by the, by the time I had my first day, I had a couple conversations with Carl. I had been able to meet the rest of the team, at least get faces with names and kind of get to know them briefly. Um, but I was nervous, for sure. I was nervous. I wasn't really sure what to expect. I knew it was not nearly as formatted or structured as I was used to. Coming from news, you have a script. You know exactly what's coming. Uh, that's really not our show. <laughs> There's no script. A lot of times we don't know what's coming. Um, but I, I felt like since I knew it was from God, I, I didn't feel afraid. I felt nervous. I think a healthy sort of nervous, but I didn't feel that fear of, oh no, what's about to happen? I felt a, 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 a sense of confidence that, okay, God, if you have me here, you're going to do it. And I think you touch on something that's very important for a lot of Christians to understand is, yes, the Bible preaches fear not, trust in the Lord, fear not. But having that anxiousness or nervousness is not a sin in of itself. It's a natural emotion because God gave us emotions for a reason. So I, I think that you touch on something that's very important, that we shouldn't get into a condemnation because we get nervous. Oh, I, I totally agree. I think that if you, uh, a healthy sense of nervousness, I think is really an appreciation for the scope of what you're about to do. And I've heard a pastor say, you know, they still feel nervous before they step out there and preach a sermon because it's this awareness that this is, this is a big deal. Not in a, not in a sense of doing something important, but this is, I, I'm handling the, the word of God. I'm, I'm, I'm in this position to where I'm teaching people. This is a big responsibility and I'm trusting God with it, but for sure there's some nerves of, okay, let's do this. I really hope it goes well. And I, I totally agree with that because as you know, when I came up and I've been on the Carl and crew before I do improv. And when I stand up in front of a large room full of people to make them laugh, no nerves. I'm fine. I could go do that every day for an hour at a time, two hours, whatever. But when I fill in for my pastor and I'm not, like you said, handling the word and teaching people and trying to speak truth in life, there's that nervousness that 
that healthy nervousness of realizing the weight of what you're doing. Yes. Not, like you said, not because it's some great heroic thing, but because of the reverence and, and the fear of the Lord. And I think that that's very healthy and it's, it's absolutely normal because if you're a pastor and you're never nervous, then there may, it may be a time to check your heart and wonder why aren't you nervous about what you're about to say. It's just uh, the fact of having that reverence and that understanding of what you're about to do because though you're not preaching a sermon every uh, Monday through Friday, uh, you're up there, you're talking about the Word, you're talking about God, the Gospel, and there's also got to be that, that impact from the Holy Spirit knowing that something you say during those four hours is going to be for maybe just one person in Chicago or one person around the world that may listen to the show cast later. That's something you say is going to have that ripple effect later. Yeah. And so I think it, it is important to be, to be mindful of that and to, and to keep going back to the Lord as your source of strength, because you don't, you, even though there's a routine that you kind of get into where you're, you're the flow of it can start to feel similar at once you've been doing it long enough, but we always want to be, as a team, open to what God wants to do on any given day. Sometimes Carl will feel led to share the gospel, and we ha it's usually never planned. It's usually just, okay, this is what we need to do right now. So being open to that and never expecting that any one show is going to be just like the one before. You can hear that there is a leading and a sensitivity to what the Lord says. And I know that as producers, sometimes that may get to super die a little bit because she's trying to keep you all within time and make sure you hit the brakes on time. But uh, God will redeem that time if you go over or you go late on a certain segment. Right. And he does. I mean, we, we have markers that we try to hit. Sometimes we miss them, but there's some flexibility there. And we've got four hours. So as long as we're done in four hours, we're pretty good. Such a great conversation. I can't wait to share the rest of it with you here in just a moment. Now, if you like what we're doing with Gifts of Glory Ministries, things like this podcast, great events like Pure Fest, and the amazing comedy of Wellverse Comedy, would you consider supporting us through Patreon? Become a patron at patreon.com slash giftsforglory. Again, that's patreon.com slash gifts, the number four, glory. And get some really cool perks for helping us grow and produce some great content like this podcast. We're also working to get to a nonprofit status as a ministry, so your support through Patreon is going to help get us there. That's patreon.com slash giftsforglory. And thank you so much for supporting and helping make Gifts of Glory happen. We've got more of this amazing conversation in just a moment. This is the Gifts of Glory podcast celebrating and promoting men and women of God using their gifts, talents, and passions to honor and glorify God. Back in just a second. Now, I want to get to your current project that uh, is your own personal ministry, getting you back into storytelling. Uh, Project Surplus. Tell us what Project Surplus is and where the vision came from. So Project Surplus uh, is, a, is a, my own personal website that I launched uh, a couple months ago, and it is a platform for storytelling. So I, my kind of my message for it, it's an online space to proclaim and tell the wonders of God and the stories of his people. That's really the mission behind it. It's based on a verse out of the Psalms, Psalm 40, verse 5 which says, you have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them 
yet they are more than can be told. So it's this idea that there are so many stories, so many lives that tell of the wonders of God, that proclaim the wonders of God, so much more than we could ever capture. So this site is just a way of capturing just a snippet of the wonder of what God is doing in the lives of individual people. And the stories that I'm drawn to are the stories that wouldn't otherwise be told. Um, there are a lot of blogs out there that are, that are wonderful. There are a lot of people who have a platform to tell their own story, which is awesome. The stories that I, that I find myself drawn to and that I feel is part of the, my ministry is to tell the untold stories. And that's really the coolest thing is, is there are hidden gems within the body of Christ of people who may never stand on a platform, may never hold a microphone in church, would probably never launch their own blog or speaking ministry. But there are some stories out there that need to be told. And with my background in journalism and the passion that I have for interviewing and for telling these stories, it was, it's just, it's a perfect fit. And I have a lot of joy in listening to people share their story and then putting it together in a way that I think will really um, inspire other people. So the first one was uh, Rachel Sawyer, who uh, just reading her uh, story has an amazing story. Um, the hug doctor It's just, you know, it, it's so touching, especially the opening piece, part where you talk about her, but just feeling the call of the spirit to go hug a lady in Italy. Yes. So it's, tell us about uh, Rachel a little bit. Yeah, she's, she, I had, a, I knew her through church and I didn't know much about her other than that. She was this, you know, joyful woman who loved to hug people. That really is what she's known for. I mean, she gives the most incredible hugs. They're held a couple seconds longer than you expect. Most people do kind of the quick hug and release. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she hugs everyone as if she's hugging a close friend. And, um, I, I, my husband was actually the one who sat next to her at an event right as I was launching the website and had prayed that, God, I need you to lead me to the stories. And then my husband comes home and goes, I met this woman from church and really got to hear her story. You need to talk to her. So she agreed to kind of sign on and be the first person that I went through this process with. So we spent a good amount of time together, both in person and talking on the phone. And she just has such a love for people. She has had she, she says kind of in, it's serious, but she says it in a lighthearted way. She says, I have been everything but dead. And her life has been full of challenges. She has suffered trauma. She's suffered abuse. She has uh, suffered, uh, she's gone through divorce. She has really, uh, she has been lived on the, she's been homeless. She's reaches out to people who no one else wants to touch. So she goes, that's who she feels drawn to. And so I was so captivated by her life and the way that she just gives of herself. She goes on her own time and just ministers in hospitals and nursing homes and on the streets. And wherever she finds people who are hurting, that's where she feels like she needs to be. And so I just, as I listened to her story and listened to her share, all of a sudden, this woman who I would see at church who gave these, these cool hugs there was a reason behind it. And, and, and her hugs are the way she communicates the love of God. And so I, having her participate and sign on to do it, I was so grateful. And the story came together really well. And it was cool because after it, I, after it was published, 
she posted it on her Facebook page and there were people commenting below like, I remember the first time I came to church and you were the one who hugged me and you have no idea what that meant to me on that day. And so seeing how kind of the pieces fit together and people were, were remembering, yeah, this is the woman who hugged me. There was something special about it. It was really cool. And I think every church has a Rachel, yes. somebody that's been through a lot, but will love you unconditionally the second you walk in the door. I know that at uh, my former church, uh, before I got married, there was uh, a Joanne who would hug and give a peck to everybody. And sometimes you'd want to be later to, to church to make sure that her lipstick had worn off by the time that she, <laughs> you, you got to see her. But, and one of the, the most incredible parts of, of the piece is the quote that you have in uh, about midway down mm-hmm. where she said, I used to say I would pay any price just to have someone hug me. And how many people in this world, whether they admit it or not, feel that same way? Yeah, she reached a point where, I mean, after having gone through a second marriage that, that, that ended and she went through a bankruptcy and just financial ruin and all of these things that her life was falling apart. And even though she loved God, all of a sudden she felt like she couldn't trust him because she'd given her life for him. And, and all of a sudden things were just falling apart and, and her, the people around her kind of didn't know how to respond to someone going through so much. And so people sort of turned their back on her and, and she said, yeah, I, I, I would have paid any price at that time to have someone hug me. And so now that that is her ministry to be that the arms of Jesus to somebody who's just in need of a hug, who just needs to know, hey, you matter. Because that's what a hug does. A hug requires you to embrace somebody, to, to get past the things that sometimes are barriers. You have to get past the fact that, you know, touching people is uncomfortable or that, you know, maybe people don't, you know, didn't put on deodorant this morning, you know, but anything, you have to get past the things that sometimes are our hangups and be willing to embrace somebody and say, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter if you slept on the street last night and couldn't shower, you matter. And so I am going to give you a hug and a, like a for real hug, not a side hug. And how much Jesus is in that? Because in the in the scripture, he talks about how he would make physical contact with the lepers, probably something that the, those people have not felt for maybe a decade or more of that physical contact. When he healed the lepers, there was always a contact there, something that they had never or probably hadn't felt for a long time. So here is Rachel doing the exact same thing that Jesus was doing, is hugging and making that physical contact with somebody that probably hasn't felt that connection for a long time. Yes. And that, that willingness, you're right. That willingness to actually touch someone just like Jesus did. He wasn't put off by the things that other people would find repulsive. I mean, to touch a leper, I mean, that was absolutely something that no one would do. And he embraced the people that everyone else looked away from. And so to see someone like Rachel, who's really living that out and modeling that in her everyday life, it was just, I was blown away. And I, I feel like I am better for having even interviewed her for even having taken her story. And I just, I was challenged and I was so encouraged by her. And I also want to talk about, um, Freddie Rios. He's, uh, you know, he's somebody that's been to hell and back in this life. And it's just, it's an amazing story because he got, he fell twice. You know, he lived a fallen life and he, he found salvation and then he walked away for a while. 
and now he's back. So, you know, Freddie is just a, another great story. Yeah, that was the second piece. It was called Last Man Standing, and uh, Freddie grew up uh, on the west side of Chicago in a tougher neighborhood, and he got involved in gangs at a very young age. Nine years old was when he first joined a gang, and so his life uh, kind of took a a dark path from there. And he said once he once he got into the gang life, he didn't go halfway, and he went all in. He said he was willing to. He he would have died for his gang. He would have gone to prison. He would have done anything out of his loyalty uh, to these guys. And so he did end up in prison. He ended up, um, you know, with a, with a terrible drug habit and, and living a life that, uh, that he, you know, that no one would want to live and that brings, you know, brings such shame, making, making really, really bad choices. And, but God in his mercy never forgot about Freddie. And so Freddie's story is such, such one of redemption. And in, in talking with him, he is so humbled by the fact that God would save someone like him. And you hear it in his voice and in how he's just still in awe of God's mercy and God's love. Um, he came out of prison for the last time uh, about 10 years ago, and he had every intention of going right back to a life on the streets back to selling drugs, back to doing, living that life. Um, but he got invited to a Bible study and that's where things began to shift. Even though he had read the Bible before, uh, all of a sudden there was new life and new meaning in it. And that's where God started to turn things around. And he finally reached the point where he said, I'm never going back. I cannot go back to that old life. And so he cut ties with that old life and started a whole new path. A cool thing that I heard from him after the story had been published, someone reached out to him and they were, they had read his story and they said, I was in tears because I could relate to so much of it. And they said, it's funny because I've only known you as a person who lives their life for Jesus, who's always helping, who wants to walk people to their car at night so they don't walk alone. And, and, and the person said, I've never, I'd never imagined once what you once were. And they said the cool thing about the power of redemption is that it removes all evidence of our past life. So if you know Freddie now, he's this gentle kind of giant of a man who serves and who is so helpful. And if you didn't know his story, you would never guess the life he led before. And that's why he wanted to tell his story, because he felt so overwhelmed that God would save him from he had many friends who did not make it out of the neighborhood but that god would not only save him but allow him to serve in the church allow him to have a family uh the church family that's kind of surrounded him and loves him and he wanted to tell his story because he's you know basically if god could do it for someone like me god is real and he can do it for you absolutely and and you brought up it's the new creation you're a new creation in christ the old is literally dead and uh so now freddie is free and it, it's both of these stories are, are just incredible testimonies and they're not the kind of people that are going to go broadcast their story or their testimony they're, like you said they're not going to start a blog that's where god equips the saints to do this work so he's given you that gift and passion to tell these stories because you think about the story of ruth other than the fact that Ruth was in the line of, of Christ's ancestry, why would anybody tell that story? Yeah. 
but there was somebody that recorded the story and told it and it's become a source of inspiration for the last you know couple thousand years um i don't believe that we're we're a couple thousand years away from christ's return so your your blogs won't last that long but i think that they have enough uh uh, substance that they're going to have a similar impact to those that find it. Well, you know, that's, that's really encouraging. I mean, I, it's, it is something that brings me such joy. And the thing that's awesome about God is that when he gives you, um, different kind of gifts, when you're able to use them in a way that builds his kingdom, that blesses his people, there's such a joy in it. I mean, there really is the, I, when I sit down and I hit record and I, and I do these interviews, I mean, it's a long process between the interview and then, you know, there's lots of writing and rewrites. It takes a while, but I have such joy in it. And that's how I know, wow, wow, this is really what I'm supposed to be doing. I mean, in addition to the ministry that I'm doing through Carl and crew, this, this project surplus is, is really where I'm finding, um, God's using some of the other gifts that don't necessarily that I don't necessarily get to use on the show. Absolutely. What uh, what stories do you have coming up that we can look forward to on Project Surplus? Well, I have one story that I'm working on right now. It's uh, an epic kind of love story um, about a couple. They've been married, I think, for 12 years now. Um, and their when they first started, they their marriage, even the prospect of them marrying marrying threatened to tear their family apart. Mm -hmm. They had to overcome so much obstacle of being from totally different backgrounds, totally different religions, having families who were totally opposed to them ever even meeting, let alone marrying. But they persevered and it ended up being God's biggest blessing in their lives. So I'm working on a love story, which you're going to love. Sounds kind of like a West Side Story slash Romeo and Juliet, but with a much better ending. It is. I mean, it's one of those love stories that you could write a movie about. So I'm like, maybe we'll turn it into a script. Who knows? I'm lo definitely looking forward to that. And uh, your Project Surplus is, is such a great thing. And I hope that, uh, you know, my listeners will, will, will definitely check it out. We'll have all the links and everything in the, uh, the show notes. Um, but what I want to do is at the end of every interview, is I end with seven rapid fire questions I call the interrogation. Uh -oh. Some some are kind of serious, some are, are more lighthearted. Um, and I just want, you know, first answer comes to your head. Don't really think too much about it, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> All right, so question number one uh, We mentioned you and your husband traveled and lived in many places uh, during his uh, career. Uh, what city or country was your favorite? Uh, Turkey. Turkey was my favorite. What was your favorite story to cover when you were a reporter? Uh, well, I, I think I told you a little bit about it earlier, but I, it was the, the man who had trained his dog to do math problems. <laughs> it was, he had worked with this dog and they had this act so well uh, rehearsed that he would write out a math problem on, on, a, on a little board, a little whiteboard, and he'd hold it up for the students to see. He would visit schools. He'd show the kids. and some, It would be square roots and things that most adults couldn't readily answer. But then he would motion to the dog, and he'd put his hand out, and then the dog would tap his paw against his hand for the number that was the answer. 
And you, you could watch really, really closely and you still couldn't figure out exactly how they were doing this, but the kids were just in awe and they, they were convinced that, wow, if I had this dog, I really could say my dog did my homework. So <laughs> one of these funny feature kind of feel good stories that I, I still to this day now, like what, 15, close to 15 years later, I'm like still my favorite story. What's your biggest fear in life? My biggest fear in life is not fulfilling all that God has called me to do. What about your biggest regret? My biggest regret is not learning earlier what it meant to seek God for myself. Um, I, I wish that I would have gotten sooner that it wasn't about striving or effort or even my success or my failure, that it was about surrender before the Lord and humility um, and about going to him for everything rather than relying on my own uh, strength. So I really, that's my biggest regret. And that's what I want to uh, help my kids avoid. My kids will be raised in the church, but I want to help them avoid kind of coasting and living life by a Christian checklist um, and, and missing Jesus. And I feel like I, I kind of lived that life for more years than I, care to, <laughs> than I care to recount. Praise God, I'm on the other side of that, but that probably is my biggest regret. For Project Surplus, is there a specific person, celebrity or not, that you'd like to interview and do a story on? Um, or maybe funny, type of person? Yeah, well, the funny thing is that I'd like to avoid any type of celebrity. Um, is there, I, I, my thinking is if people already have a platform of their own where they're able to share their story, I want them to do that to the fullest. Uh, I'm looking for stories that are hidden, um, that haven't really been told. And I'm looking for people who, when I ask them, they're kind of surprised. That's usually the sign that, okay, I'm on to something. So far uh, in the uh, two plus years, what has been your best experience on Carlin Crew? Well, can I give a two part answer there? Sure. Okay. So, number one, I would have to say is my own, the way it has shaped my own faith, um, the way it has sharpened me, the way it has, when you're constantly speaking the truth of God's word, it gets in there. And when you're constantly telling other people, hey, it's not about what you do or don't do. It's not about checking a box. It's about surrender before the Lord. You keep saying that enough. You keep preaching that message enough. It gets in there. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm, really, I'm really grateful for how I have grown and learned in the last two years. Uh, I'm also grateful for how God has used the show. Um, we were blessed to win station of the year for this for 2018 national religious broadcaster station of the year um, for WMBI 90.1 with Carl and crew being a big part of that. And the, and the emphasis on the gospel and the number of people that responded and being a big part of kind of the packet that they put together to submit for us. So being able to be a part of really seeing people's lives changed is, I mean, it is, just one of the biggest privileges of my life. And final one, um, what is the long-term vision for Allie and for Project Surplus? Well, you know, I would love for it to grow and expand, and I would love to eventually have a team of people who have the same vision and the same passion 
I would love to branch out to do not just written stories, but video stories, kind of like mini documentaries. Um, I have a couple series in mind that I would love to do. So I have all kind of things in, in mind for the years. I want to, you know, do not despise the day of small beginnings. <laughs> right now, it's a, it's a one-woman uh, effort, and I am the, the writer and the editor. Uh, but one day, I would love to expand it out to include more writers. I do have a couple photographers that I tap for different projects, but I'd love to have more people involved so that we could tell more stories. Awesome. And they can find those stories at projectsurplus.org. And uh, definitely recommend reading the uh, the two up there right now with, about Freddie and Rachel. Really great stories, including the uh, the PS at, uh, uh, features that you added on some extra notes, which are were, were really nice to read as well. Um, so, uh, Allie, I know that uh, 4 o'clock you know, comes very early, and I'm sure uh, with kids and a husband, you got to get ready uh, for dinner and bed. Um, so was there anything else that you want to share before we, uh, we let you go? No, it's, just, it's a privilege to, to be a part of this. This is my first podcast interview, <laughs> so it's kind of exciting to do. It's a little different than what I normally do on radio because I'm not asking the questions. So um, thanks for putting up with my long-winded answers. When you're in radio, you kind of just talk and talk and talk. So. Absolutely. And uh, it's been a pleasure and uh, it's been fun getting to learn more about you because there's only so much that you can see on a bio and there's only so much you can hear. Uh, you share testimonial stuff throughout the, the day on the radio, but you never really learn a lot until you have a really good conversation. And it's been a lot of fun getting to know uh, Allie. And, and again, I'm just really excited to see what God will do through Project Surplus on top of what you're doing on the radio. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. And thank you to your listeners for, you know, being a part of it. Absolutely. Well, Allie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, catch Allie along with Carl, Superdye, Young Thunder, and Sputnik every Monday through Friday on Moody Radio. You can find them online at Moody Radio Chicago or carlocrew.org, right? It's .org. Or 90.1 uh, FM. All right. Well, Allie, have yourself a great night. Thanks so much for coming on Gifts for Glory. All right. Thank you for having me. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh, man. That's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry. I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price Tool. Only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.